When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're talking real money. Hey, thanks for joining Talking Real Money to talk about your money, your finances, your issues around all this. Um, I'm Tom Cock, hosting this week by myself. So be gentle. Uh, Don has a Saturday off. He is uh, on the coastline, I believe, of South Carolina. And uh, I will be on the coastline of beautiful Lake Chelan. For those of you uh, not in the great state of Washington or nearby, you may not know that, but it is truly one of the most beautiful lakes in the United States, and uh, we have a traditional family vacation that uh, that starts tomorrow. And by the way, if you see my wife, would you remind her that it starts tomorrow? I don't think she's buying it. So I'm really excited about that. Get to hang out with my kids, grandkids, the whole, and even my brother shows up from Chicago for that one. So got to love that. i tell you what you don't got to love is the... Uh, the free and uh, free celebrity advice that is so doggone expensive. Oh, I'm supposed to mention the phone number first, 855-935-8255. That is 855-935-8255. Give me a call. Get on the program. Ask your question. You know, this drives me nuts, truly. Truly it does because I know we hold sports stars and celebrities and others who are in the media and influencers out there as somebody that knows more than we do about a variety of topics. Yeah, I don't like it when they talk about politics, but I like it even worse, hate it even more, worse, I should say, when they talk about money because most of the advice they give is so poor and self-interested, can we say? I mean – Frankly, some of this comes from a recent article in Bloomberg Business Week, which I think is the finest publication, weekly publication uh, to talk about money. And it points out some of these absolutely horrendous pieces of advice that people, Matt Damon, of course, uh, you know, got you all excited about crypto, where he was the face of the Fortune Favors the Brave campaign for. The exchange crypto.com that ad debuted October of 2021. Within about six or seven months, Bitcoin had dropped by 60%. And uh, <laughs> Damon has gotten, you know, a bit of hassle from all this. I, I guess it was on South Park. They teased him a little bit. And of course, Stephen Colbert, who pretty much takes everybody on, uh, beat him up on the late show. Reese Witherspoon, who I, I loved her show, The Morning, I think it's called The Morning Show on, uh, is it Apple? Anyway, I thought it was a terrific program with her, she and Jennifer Aniston, but I wish she wouldn't give financial advice. She tweeted in December 2021, crypto's here to stay. She announced uh, that she had a partnership to promote and collaborate with the World of Women NFT Collective. And since that, of course, the average price for the World of Women NFTs, non-fungible i'm now forgetting but anyway this is part of the whole crypto thing 
That slumped more than 75%. And then there's Mark Cuban, who really, frankly, should know better. Because at least he has, he's a celebrity guy, but at least he's been, you know, in business. He sold a business once and made a couple billion, I think, when he sold broadcast.com. I don't know that he has a great track record since then, but, you know, he, he endorsed this, uh, <laughs> He wrote a piece about the the brilliance of yield farming, and uh, although he did mention this is not investment advice, he wrote about making money as a liquidity provider using the Titan token in June of 2021. The token subsequently tumbled 99%, and then he said, well, yeah, that was a bad idea. It was really on me for being lazy. You know, it's on you for being lazy if you just listen to what some of these celebrities have to say about the reason you should put your money somewhere. Frankly, uh, you got to do a little more work than that. And is there somebody to trust? Sure, there is. There really is. It's not Wall Street either. In addition to the celebrities, it's, it truly is academic work. Disinterested academics who have peer-reviewed white papers, who have looked at long-term how markets act and how you therefore should invest. That's the people where you should be. You got to forget the the fads, the new things that come along, whether it's tech or crypto or NFTs or any of it, and trust not just the academics, but I think you can trust the long-term return history of various assets, things like stocks and bonds that have been around for, wow, hundreds of years that have a track record that you can say, this is how they've worked for a very long period of time. Therefore, I will invest with that in mind instead of Mark Cuban says I should run out and buy the Titan token and I might get rich. I might not get rich. Hmm, bad advice. 855-935-8255. Give me a call. We'll, uh, we'll take your questions and calls right after this. Tom and Don are talking real money. Tom and I created Vestry to help everyone become a better investor, even those who will never be clients. Let one of our advisors help you start your financial plan or solve a money problem free with no obligation or high-pressure sales pitch at Vestory.com. V-E-S-T-O-R-Y.com. Your guides to a really great financial future. Tom and Don are talking real money. Thanks for being part of Talking Real Money, and uh, we'd love to talk to you about your money issues, concerns, whatever it entails. So just give me a call, 855-935-TALK. That is 855-935-8255, and that's exactly what Steve did. Hi, Steve. Yeah, good uh, afternoon. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, I have a question about uh, a... uh deferred comp rollover i think i may have asked you guys about it before i retired in march and i rolled i'm rolling over uh my deferred compensation fund which is about eighty eight thousand right now i put it over at vanguard and i'm going to put it into i'd like to divide it up between bonds and cds uh since i'm not working anymore i can't really deal with the fluctuations of the market, and I just want to preserve this principle. So what I'd like to know is what would you suggest as far as what percentage to put in CDs, what percentage to put into bonds, and then of the percentage that goes into bonds, how should that be divided up between the municipal bonds, the corporate bonds, that sort of thing? Okay, well, let's. we can eliminate one very easily. You don't need municipal bonds in a 
qualified account, and this is an individual retirement account, correct? Uh, yes. Okay. So the only reason ever to use municipal bonds would be in a taxable uh, or brokerage type of account because the interest paid on those is not taxable. That doesn't matter in a qualified account because you're not going to pay tax on those anyway. You're not going to pay tax on anything there until you take the money out. So yeah, my no, next I take the uh, the required uh, minimum uh, distributions, whatever whatever it is, distribution. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. correct. Um, so you know, here's my question: um, How many years until you're going to start taking if you're either have to or need to take money out of that IRA? Well, I may take some out next year for a um, couple of months uh, long trip uh, overseas. But other than that, I, not anytime soon because I'm living off my Social Security and my pension, and I'm uh, doing okay on those two. Okay. So, I mean, and so then my question really kind of is, um, and I don't know, I've never bought uh, CDs at Vanguard per se. Um, but I, I'm trying to understand sort of the reason. I mean, okay, let's step back. You could own short-term bonds. Vanguard has some very fine funds where you could hold, they hold hundreds and in some cases thousands of bonds. A bond is an IOU. Mm-hmm. Not completely like a CD, which is, you know, as you know, is insured. A bond is not, but they buy pretty safe ones. Um, you could buy a short-term bond fund, and then you could also maybe buy a more, you know, a balanced intermediate-type bond fund. For example, if this was my money, and I said, well, I don't really need it for at least a few years, but I don't want to take any risk. I don't want to see a whole lot of volatility out of this. I would probably own a short-term bond fund, maybe like the Vanguard short-term corporate fund. I think it's VFSTX. And then I might hold the intermediate term, their, their total bond, which is BND, B as in boy, N as in Nancy, D as in dog, and maybe split it between those because then you're getting a little bit of protection against you know inflation. Not much because, uh, because right now uh, uh, the prices of bonds have been pushed down as the yields have gone up. But that gives you some protection. Or maybe you could do those two and then take a third of it and put it into – you know, some sort of CDs that they offer. I'm just trying to dig that up right now to see if uh, what that would look like. Um, and that's pretty conservative. Um, again, it sounds like that's what you want to be, right? You really don't want to have any fluctuation. Uh, no, I really don't. If I were still working, then I could uh, just leave it uh, in stocks and bonds and just, you know, ride out the ups and downs because I'd be contributing every month. But since I'm not working anymore, I want to... Uh, you know, yeah. preserve this uh, principle. Yeah, and Vanguard, I'm just looking at Vanguard here, at Vanguard Brokerages, which is where you are, you can purchase and hold brokered CDs. That's correct. I think we have talked about this on the show before. So, yeah, yeah you could I, you, you, yeah, you could take maybe half of it in CDs then and half in one of those bond funds that are going to give you, you know, a, the opportunity for a little more yield, if you will, a little more interest than you just get in those CDs. Um, but that might be a strategy for you, uh, Steve. And uh, okay. and then it's it's fairly stable, you know. Again, bonds have had a little bit. Uh, just looking, the intermediate term bond is still down year to date, but yields have started up again. So I think it's still a, a pretty sort of. And I hate using the word safe because people think, well, nothing will ever happen. Well, there will be some fluctuation, but that's balanced out then maybe by your CDs, where there really truly won't be any fluctuation. Right? That will simply 
be whatever interest you're going to get on that. Between the two, balancing between bonds and CDs, using one of those bond funds or two of them and their brokered CDs, that probably gets you to where you want to be. Okay, so about half the half of that money yeah. into CDs and the other half split between maybe these two bond funds. Yeah, I would say the VFSTX, which is their short-term bond fund, and the BND, which is their total bond, between those two and then the you know the brokered CDs. That, again, that probably gets you a little bit of interest, not much you know downside potential there, which it sounds like is what you're looking for because you don't need a lot of growth, but you don't want the headache of things going down. Yeah, it kind of gets exactly. you gets you gets you there. Okay, that pretty much tells me what I need. And thank you very much uh, for the help. It is my distinct pleasure. Thank you for be- joining us on the program. The telephone number is eight five five nine three five eight two five five. That again, eight five five nine three five talk, and you can call that, and we will answer your questions. We get a lot of emails too. Greg wrote us one about, you know, kind of. This is always a tough question. He's saving for retirement, 10 years from retirement, has a pretty good amount saved up in his retirement account, um, and he's trying to decide whether to put money into the Roth 401k, which is you're not getting a deduction for that, right? The money's coming out of your paycheck into a post-tax account and then growing tax-free versus taking the deduction, right, which is in a, a traditional uh 401k you're getting the tax deduction of of that money and he says his tax rate is 12 percent. now that's a pretty low rate uh and he wants to keep a taxable income up for the year at 83.5 or below and stay in the 12 percent tax bracket that's pretty good and here's the thing anytime you're trying to make this decision between the traditional 401k and the Roth 401k, you're trying to anticipate what your tax rate will be after you retire. You need to anticipate a little bit about how big your pre-tax savings will be, because remember, that will have to be drawn on at some point with required minimum distributions under current law. That draw doesn't begin until 72. And we'll talk in a minute about how that may be changing as well. We'll spend a little more time on this question sent to us by greg your questions and calls 855-935-8255 as we continue talking real money tom and don are talking real money is your portfolio a mess you may have a case of hodgepodgeitis but don't worry we can help just set up a free no obligation meeting with a vestory advisor at vestory.com no sales pitch guaranteed that's v-e-s-t-o-r-y.com for your real life and real future tom and don are talking real money Thanks for being part of the program. You know, you can call us anytime. It doesn't have to be Saturday afternoons, Pacific time at 855-935-TALK. You can call that number anytime or you can email us. We're, we take your questions. We get a lot of emails and we try to get to them as quickly as we can. Um, Greg wrote us one recently about sort of should he continue? He's contributing three quarters of his money every year in his retirement account to the Roth portion of his 401k. So he's not getting a tax deduction. But is he balancing out that out by paying a quarter of it in the pre-tax traditional 401k? That's keeping him in the 12% bracket. And he said, "What do you, do you think I should just plow everything into the Roth or is there benefit in keeping that 12% tax bracket? 
Here's the thing. I mean, when you get to retirement, you don't really know for sure what your tax rate is going to be. And this is a balance, right, between what your tax rate is today and what it'll be later. Generally, your tax rate is higher while you're working than it is when you're retired. A 12% rate is very low. I kind of like the idea of keeping it at that level. You're also building two different buckets, if you will. You've got the uh, the Roth bucket and the traditional bucket. That'll give you some variety when you get to retirement on where to draw the money from. I think your strategy is pretty good, Greg. I wouldn't mess around with it too much and uh, just keep on keeping on. So stay at it. And uh, thanks for uh, thanks for your question. And thanks for uh, listening to the uh, the podcast in this case. Let's go back to the phones. Terry now uh, joins us here on Talking Real Money. Hi, Terry. Hi, how you doing? Good. How can I help you? Um, I'm looking to start some kind of account or something for my uh, two-year-old nephew. I'd, you know, you can buy presents and everything, but I would like to do some kind of investing for his future. And that I could keep adding to, in the, you know, gifts every year and such. Well, tell, so tell me, would this be money... Yeah. Is this money that you want to have necessarily set aside for education or sort of a general expense? Either one. Okay. Because we do favor, and I've used and have for decades um, for myself and for our clients, the 529 plan. So a 529 plan allows you to put the money in for a two-year-old who hopefully will go to college in 16 years or so, the money grows and then the money is taken out tax-free if it's used for any you know sort of education-related expense, whether that be tuition, whether that be housing, whether that be books, et cetera. The problem sometimes people run into is, well, you put it in that account and then the kid ends up not going to college, which is perfectly fine too. Um, and then what do you do with it? Well, of course, that money could be moved to a family member. Again, that's why I was sort of asking you whether or not this was necessarily for an education program. Utah, if you typed in the Utah 529, I forget the website, they have a very good 529 plan. It is age-based. In other words, they invest the money for a two-year-old with the idea that you want a lot of risk when you're two, less when you're at 18 because you're going to start drawing on the money. The costs are exceedingly mm -hmm. low, the very, very low, and you can put in a certain amount per month or per year, whatever it is. I do uh, for my, my grandkids, for example, on their birthdays and at the holidays. They each get a contribution, right. not too much money, but it's something, it's growing. And, you know, at some point, you know, when they go to college, it'll be a nice little add-on. It really won't cover the whole thing. But it is a way to invest in their future. It is a way to do it at an extremely low cost, and it is tax efficient because if you just put the money aside in a regular old brokerage account, for example, when they start pulling that money out, they're going to pay either long-term capital gains tax on it or any activity inside that there's going to be taxation as you go along. You really want to avoid that if you can. That's why I'm sort of saying if, you, if it's just for education, I would use – the 529 plan, Utah, certainly a favorite. West Virginia has a very good plan. You don't have to live in either of those states, by the way, to use their programs. And you can use the money in any college, university in the United States. So that's probably the direction that I favor. Uh-huh. And so you just go online and yeah, look up pardon me. Utah. Yeah, Utah. I would just type in Utah 529 plan. It, I think it's smart select but i'm not positive but at any rate it'll it'll pop up and it's very simple to 
start the account, name the beneficiary. You are the account owner. Terry will be the owner of the account, but the beneficiary will be whatever the two-year-old's name is, et cetera, et cetera. That will grow. As I say, it comes out tax-free. I think it's a wonderful plan for people's education. Thank you for your call, Terry. Please give us a ring. We'd be glad to answer them. 855-935-8255 as we continue talking real money. Tom and Don are talking real money. Set your course for a great future with a free copy of our 60-page Better Retirement Guidebook at vestory.com, V-E-S-T-O-R-Y.com. Reality Radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. Hey, thanks for being part of the program today. Every Saturday, we're here live two hours to take your questions and calls about all things related to money, uh, whether it's making it, saving it, investing it, trying to do the right thing, trying to help you avoid the mistakes, all of that. So, hey, if you got a question, give me a ring. 855-935-TALK. That is 855-935-8255. I'm Tom Cock. I'm uh, the co-host of the program. The other guy, he's got the week off. That's Don McDonald. He'll be back next Saturday. I'll be off. As uh, <clears throat> I as I mentioned uh, recently, I'll be in central Washington enjoying the sun and fun that is a vacation at Lake Chelan. Terry had asked about uh, sort of doing something for, I think it was two-year-old nephew. And, um, you know, just, and I'm not as nimble as Don on the internet, <laughs> live on the show. But during the break, I took a look just to make sure I was right. Utah 529, which is at the website myMY529.org. That's my529.org. And on the homepage, it says, you know, what's a 529? Why pick this one? I think it's pretty easy to go get started and build this. And again, as I said, I would do the age-based program. An age-based program allows you to just put the money in. They, they the operators of the 529 plan, decide how to invest it. In other words, how much in the riskier things like stocks, how much in the less risky things like bonds. And a two-year-old nephew should have, you know, probably 90% of the money in stocks because you're hoping for a lot of growth and 10, maybe 20% in bonds because you don't need a lot of stability. What you're looking for is that account to get bigger. Like, you know, last week you would have wanted to have it go up by 3% because the stock market went up by 3%. So, I think that's a great plan. The costs are exceedingly low. They use index or index-like products uh, for the underlying investments. Um, I've used the Utah 529 plan for many years. I also use the West Virginia plan, which I think is equally good, but uh, we could get in a debate about that. Overall, by the way, 529s have gotten better over the last decade or so. Uh, there used to be some truly awful plans where the funds they used were active management, where there was commissions, there were expenses, very high expenses. But, you know, things have been cleaned up a little bit, and there's actually quite a bit of money in 529s. As I mentioned, that money can come out and pay college expenses. My goal, and uh, I don't know if my kids even know this, but my goal was always for the grandkids to put enough money in there so it would pay maybe one year of their college education. And I know that's a bit of a guess because I've got a 10-year-old grandson, a 5-year-old grandson, and a 4-year-old grandson. My wife's hoping for a granddaughter somewhere along the way here. But my goal was to, to set aside kind of one year college education. Now, you know, 
who knows where they're going to end up in college, right? And what that's going to look like in eight years, what, 12, 13 years and 14 years. Nobody knows. And nobody knows if the price of higher education will continue to escalate the way it has for the last couple of decades, which truly has been outrageous. Um, and you hope that the pandemic slowed that down a little bit. But I do love the 529. I think it's a great way to save for the future. I think it sends a great message because Terry said the same thing. Ah, oh, you can give them toys, you can give them all that stuff, but they use it for a period of time and it's gone. Imagine the great, great deal, which they might not understand at 18, but they will at some point in their life know that you help them be successful by setting money aside for their education, which is so important. And I think more important in the world today than maybe it's ever been. So I think the 529 is just a wonderful instrument, and I think you should uh, strongly consider that. What about young people and money? So I got a question here from Susan, who said, My son is starting out. We'll have about $3,000 in earnings this year. Fantastic. We'd like to open up a Roth IRA for him, but not sure how much we can put in the 3000 or the annual limit of 6000 Thanks for your help, and thank you, Susan for listening to the podcast and for writing. The reality is you can only put in a Roth IRA as much as that person has earned. So if the child, the young person has only earned $3,000, you can only put in the three. Can't put in all the way up to the the limit for Roths of 6000 The government just decided, well, that's unfair because you didn't earn that money. It's not earnings. You shouldn't be able to set it aside tax-free. And by the way, I think this is a fabulous idea. My children all had Roth IRAs when they were relatively young as soon as they had earned income. Now, they didn't necessarily put the money in there themselves because they spent it oftentimes. But you can put it in there because if they have a 1099 or a W-2, whatever it is, that amount could be set aside by you into a Roth IRA. It's easy to do and will make their future look even better. 855-935-TALK. Give us a call. Don and Don are talking real money. A second opinion could save your life either physically or fiscally. Let one of our Vestry advisors help you save your future at Vestory.com, V-E-S-T-O-R-Y.com. Your guides to a really great financial future. Tom and Don are talking real money. Hey, welcome back to Talking Real Money. Still time to uh, answer your questions. 855-935-TALK. That is 855-935-8255. Uh, show ends. I'm right out the door because we're getting together with our clients this afternoon in our parking lot. Um, that doesn't sound very fancy, does it? But we do this every year. We have a little picnic. we got somebody we know that does a pretty good job at uh, wood-fired pizza. we got a little wood-fired pizza, got a little ice cream. I'm going to get up and give a three- or four-hour lecture. Um Oh, my daughter just told me, no, three or four minute lecture. So not three or four hours. But anyway, we'll be doing that this afternoon. Looks like the sun's breaking out just in time for that. So um, let's go. I still get lots of these emails. This one came from Anthony. And this is a tough one because this aspect is so critical in so many ways, but it feels emotional. And I'm talking about when to draw Social Security. It is not an easy question to answer. As you are aware, should be aware, the longer you wait to take Social Security, the bigger your benefit is, right? It's an actuarial table. 
if you wait till age 70, it's quite a bit bigger. I looked at mine this week just because I wanted to see if the uh, if it had changed due to the expected inflation, which is going to be tremendous increase in people getting benefits next year. It is not yet, but it's huge compared to what I would get even at full retirement age. For me, full retirement age, I think, is 66 years and 10 months. That's still at least a few years down the road. And I'm planning to wait until 70. I've got, you know, some a little bit of conflict there because I'm married. My wife's benefit is going to be considerably smaller. And um, so it'll be, it, she will be getting half of my benefit. And should I die first, which would be the expectation, she will inherit mine. So there's a lot of reasons from a financial planning standpoint for me to take it later. But this is from Anthony. He wrote, you know, on occasions you have mentioned you intentionally delaying your Social Security in 70. I am 60, currently working. But COVID impacted my health to the point where I am having a difficult time keeping up my work. So most likely retire by the end of this year as I will be turning 61. I've got decent savings, two pensions. So I've income of about $110,000 prior to even have to take a dime from my savings. That's terrific. Social Security, well, at 62, along with my wife, who's same age, never really worked, will be about $30,000, bring our income to $140,000. I'd like it to be one hundred and fifty. So I'll have to pull about 10000 from my savings. Um, he said he hadn't considered taking Social Security and pulling the four, uh, four, uh, pulling money out of the 401k for a year, uh, a year rather, for the age of 62 to 70 to increase his final payout. But that means reducing his savings by 250000 Okay, here's where the rubber meets the road, right? If he waits till 70, that benefit after full retirement age is going to grow by 8% a year and between 62 and his full retirement age is going to grow a lot too. But as he points out, he's going to have to draw from his portfolio to do that. So his break even from higher Social Security checks at age 70 to pay himself back the money he took from savings at no interest to make up for eight years of checks. He says he won't break even till what, 86 to 88 years old, provided my wife and I make it that far. If you assume I put the money into government bonds, earn 2.5% a year over the eight years and pull the money out, it seems crazy just to not take the money at Social Security at 62. I threw a lot in there at the end because there's a lot to this question. Okay, a couple of just a general rules. Number one, from wherever you start that Social Security, you got to live the 10 years to see the strategy work out. In other words, if I die at 75, it's going to be a lousy decision for me to have waited till 70 because I would have take I would have made more by taking the money out at full retirement age. Now for me, as somebody expects to work, that would probably not be ideal either though because I'll be paying income tax on everything above like $19,000. So it will not make sense for me. And as I mentioned, my wife would be expected to outlive me. She will inherit my benefit pretty good deal for her uh but in this case here's the trade-off he says i'm going to be pulling down my savings by two hundred fifty thousand dollars to make up the difference that's true but should you live the 10 years after 70 i guess that would be age 80 and enjoy those huge increases at right eight percent a year that benefit is going to be far larger and then again if your wife were to outlive you even if one of you live for a period of uh, 10, 15 years, you're going to make that money up and pretty quickly by waiting till 70. And so I'm going to probably argue with you again here. There is no investment that I know of where you get that guaranteed 8% a year. 
if if there is, give me a ring. I want to talk about it because there isn't one that I know of. So therefore, waiting on Social Security always seems to me to be a no-brainer. And yet most people, it's still like 40% of America that takes Social Security at age 62. It's still a very, I think it's even less than double-digit number that waits until age 70 to take it. It's a very small number of people that wait till age 70. And you're going to say, well, I'm not expected to live till 80. Well, then, yeah, then, okay, then that makes sense. But again, if there's someone else that's going to be relying on that as well, there's reasons to consider that as part of the uh, the overall uh, d- decision-making process. Maybe you don't, maybe you do. But in my case, I did, and I think it makes sense. So, yes, while this is somewhat complex for me still, I would still be in favor of waiting a bit, especially after age 62. Because remember, at 62, your benefit is 30-some percent less than it would be even at full retirement age. And that's what you're going to get the rest of your life, however long your life will be. And in your case, that's how much your spouse is going to get for the rest of her life. So it's a big, huge decision, even though you're going to have these pensions. And one thing is you didn't talk about whether or not those pensions have a survivor benefit. Because if they do not... Now you're going to have a small Social Security benefit that your wife's going to be drawing. She may or may not have those pensions, and she's going to have to make up the difference for her lifestyle with the savings you have, and you didn't give me the number on that. So as a general rule, if your health is good and you don't have some family reason that everybody doesn't live past 75, I'm going to want you to at least wait until full retirement age to take Social Security. I may think that waiting till 70 makes more sense. Again, unless you have a health issue uh, or there's a history in your family of of, um, not making it till age 80. Or the other part is some people just need the money. And Anthony may be one of those because he said he's going to be unable to work much in the coming years. Well, then, and if you really have to have the money, you have to have the money. I'm going to say I would pull that money out of the 401k at least for a few years until at least you get to full retirement age, which, see, if he's 60, he probably will have to wait till 67, which is a long time. Um, at the end of this year, he says he's turning 61. Okay, so, you know, six years, you got to wait to get that bigger benefit. Probably still going to make sense. Probably still going to make sense. And that's, I know, it's painful advice. Because you think, well, wait a minute, I'm drawing on that portfolio when I could be getting it from the government. Yeah, but the government is going to increase that benefit a lot after you start to take it. And that's the benefit you're going to get the rest of your life other than changes for inflation. And I know next year they're still talking about the possibility that Social Security benefits will go up by 10%. Wow, wouldn't that be a nice boost? Although, again, (laughs) with all the prices being up, it's not really a boost. So, yeah, I'm still going to say delay on that Social Security, Anthony. I know, yeah, I think you're crazy to take it at 62. Sorry, the news is not better. We'll be back with more Talking Real Money in just a moment. Tom and Don are talking real money. Tom and I created Vestry to help everyone become a better investor, even those who will never be clients. Let one of our advisors help you start your financial plan or solve a money problem free with no obligation or high-pressure sales pitch at Vestory.com. V-E-S-T-O-R-Y.com. For your real life and real future, Tom and Don are talking real money. Hey, I'd love to see you on uh, Saturday, September 17th in Bellevue for a live in-person class. Yeah, it's been a while. We haven't done a lot of these because of the pandemic, but 
Here you go. Retiring in a recession. I'll be doing that talking about the things we just talked about. Social security, investments, retirement income, how to get all of this right, how to avoid annuities, make good decisions and really live out your retirement years without fretting about money. That I think is just worth its weight. Can I say it? In gold. So join me Saturday, September 17th for what I think will be a really great hour and a half. We're also going to be talking with Kevin Peterson about Medicare. Register now at Vestry.com. That's Vestry.com. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. As you keep the lawyers happy.